0: those devices those devices that take over our life completely. When I was through my second lockdown, I was locked down in Montreal and the whole idea of having time alone was inspiring me to include more reflection and meditation and silence in my life. And if you follow me on Instagram, I was documenting the experiment in something I used to call half monk, which is basically to dedicate half of my life to the fast-paced modern world and half of my life to actually monk-like activities, you know, service and reflection and so on. And one of the very early things I did was I realized how much of my time I was spending on devices, and it was 7 hours and 40 minutes a day. And for most of us, by the way, we're not aware, we're just swiping and typing, but those health digital well-being apps on your phone will tell you that for many of us we are not doing that great. And it's time that is so valuable because if you take eight hours a day, four years in your 10,000 hours, which, you know, as per Malcolm Gladwell's advice, if you spend 10,000 hours doing anything, whatever it is, you're gonna be perfect at it. You're gonna be one of the best in the world at it. And what are we doing? We're, we're becoming the best in the world at swiping and liking, and what a waste of life that is, when you really think about it. I spoke recently at an event in the MAM called SYNC Digital. And SYNC was sponsored by Ithra, amazing, amazing, amazing foundation in in Saudi Arabia to raise awareness around digital habits and around digital well-being in general. And I rarely ever get impressed by events, but this one was quite something. You know, it was really insightful, incredible speakers flew in from all over the world. It was a bit of a think tank if you want to exchange ideas and talk about the issues. And it was really a wake-up call, if you want, for people globally to try and pay more attention about the idea of digital well-being. And after my session where I was very, very blunt, you know, I understand, you know, if you watch the social dilemma and so on, that the technology is driving you to spend a lot of time stuck to your screens. But as I always believe, we have free will, we are in charge, we can choose how we want our life to be. And I think that was basically, I spoke on two occasions, and that was always the point I came back to, that we are in charge of what we do and how we choose to do it. And including if we put our devices down, the conference is over basically. We have our digital well-being. It's not, we shouldn't be complaining only about the government's not regulating enough or the big tech companies trying to get us to stick to our phones and so on. And in one of the breaks, a gentleman rushes to me and says, you know what you said? I really like what you said. We're working on it. And he handed me this, a bunch of cards that look like playing cards that are called the Digital Habit Lab. And I opened it, looked at it, and I said, oh my God, my listeners would love to listen to this. It's 50 habits that you can experiment with that can help you reduce the harmful usage of your phone if you want. So I asked him to come and be on slow-mo and discuss some of those habits and share them with you. So here he is. My guest today is Jonathan Garner, who, like me, was deep in tech. In 2016, he was working as a digital educator about coding and machine learning and innovation and so on. He was an educator of those topics and in the process was observing the impact of rapid digital transformation and how that is positively and negatively impacting the lives of the people that he was working with. And so in response to this realization, in 2018, he founded a company called Mind Over Tech and basically attempted to dedicate the purpose of the company to help develop digital habits and mindsets to basically unlock human potential in a way that allows you to benefit from uh, the digital technology advancement and not suffer the harm that comes as a result. It's a conversation that I've been really looking forward to. I hope you will enjoy it. Before I go there, I would want to remind you that if you're interested in the topic, one of the best conversations we've had on Slow Mo around this was episodes 109 and 110, Nir Eyal, the author of Indistractable, which really spoke about the core reasons why we developed those negative digital habits and other habits, basically, that distract us. So if you're new to slow mo and you haven't heard those two episodes before, uh, go back 109 and 110 with Nir Eyal. And yeah, let's go and discuss now what you can do in your own digital habits lab with Jonathan Garner. First of all, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we had That's a wonderful a- conversation when we met in the MAM and as I was telling our listeners in the introduction, after a couple of sessions, someone walks to me and hands me this thing and goes mm-hmm. like, okay, we need to talk about this. And I'm like, yes, we absolutely need to talk about this. And we had quite a few wonderful chats and, and uh, you know, really enjoyed the event actually. I think Sync was amazing in, in mm-hmm. every yeah. possible way. But I have to start by asking you, so we had speakers from all over the world, thought leaders on the topic. And every one of them eventually, I think, came to the conclusion that we don't really know if tech is good or bad. You know, it's there's so much good that can come out of it and there is so much bad that is coming out of it. And what is it? Technology, is it good for us? Yeah, and I mean, like you said, you know, we spent kind
1: of two days listening to people talking about that and kind of debating it out, out in demum. And I think in a way, it's not a question which can really be answered. Uh, for me, actually, continuously asking that question and being in the play of the difficulties of that question is actually kind of the more important thing than kind of getting to the answer of the question, if you like. Mm. And I think as well, if we use words like good or bad, like is technology good or bad? Actually, those words can be quite reductive. Like already they're quite polarised things and good for one person, bad for another. People may not Mm. entirely agree on that. But I think having said that, there are very clear examples in the world as to where technology is clearly creating great good and also clear examples where, where technology is maybe creating bad situations. But I think for me, more interesting is also maybe to ask, okay, not necessarily is technology or good or bad, but, but to ask to what extent do we control technology or to what extent does it control us? For me, that's a slightly more kind of, in a way, it's the other side of the same coin as the good or bad. But for me, that's actually where it gets real and it gets kind of interesting and, and juicy in, in, if you ask that question.
0: I mean, I think I'll ask that question. Are we controlling <laughs> technology or or is it controlling us?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, do you have a gut reaction to that? Like, without necessarily going into it, if I was just to ask you, Mo, now, like, what would you...
0: I think when we're mindless, we're controlled by technology. When we're mindful, we're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: so there's definitely a sense of our agency there which we can bring to the situation or forget to bring. Um, and I think... I think that's true. I think what's really interesting, have you read any of the work of Nicholas Carr? Do you know Nicholas no. Carr? He's no. this amazing author um, and he wrote a great book called The Shallows. Um, uh, I think the subtitle for it is something like How the Internet is Changing the Way We Think or something like that. But in the in the opening of that, he kind of talks at length about this kind of question about does technology control us or do we control it? And he kind of frames it as from a philosophical standpoint as there being kind of these two views, like one which would be like an instrumentalist view, i.e. tech is a tool, and just like a hammer, we can kind of pick it up and use it and perform a task, but it has no control over us. It's just actually we as the user of that tool are who's in control. And I think when you hear that kind of a discussion, I think you can kind of agree, yeah, that's that that's true to, to a pretty large extent. But then, on the flip side, there's more of like what would be the determinist view, so the idea that actually technology itself actually exerts its own will to a certain extent over us and I think when you first hear that, that sounds a little bit confusing, but there's a really great story which I love, which is kind of talking about different earlier technologies because tech right is not just. It's not just our phones and our laptops, but technology is everywhere. I mean, I consider the mugs that we're drinking our tea from yeah. as, as a form of technology. Yeah.
0: yeah. At the point in time that was like, oh my God, did you see what they just invented? They invented a container that holds liquids. Like, yeah. this is amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah.
1: In fact, I heard once this great definition of technology as being like, basically saying every technology is merely an expression of human will. If you get... To the bottom of it you know even in this sense like the will to to have a nice cup of tea would be the technology of the teacup or whatever back to what i was saying about the story around ways which technology actually may control us actually this is around a very early piece of technology so maps and map making and actually kind of in the early i think it was like the babylonian empires like where the first historical maps have kind of been uh, acknowledged as arising and at the time they were kind of using clay tablets and kind of making marks in clay. to, But the thing is that at the time when that technology was evolving, obviously not many people knew how to read a map. It was obviously a very new technology. Some people had kind of... It was a completely different way of seeing the world to think about it from a top-down, like reducing your experience <laughs> into this t- two-dimensional plane, right? So mm. in that sense, as people played with this idea and then showed others in the village and they began over time to be able to actually use them maps to, to get around. That technology of the map was not just the technology to get around. It was actually a different way to see the world. And we know that our brains are plastic and they can change. And actually over time, you know, as people got comfortable with using maps and they got more comfortable, uh, like got kind of confident using them, basically our minds will have evolved to actually understand spatial kind of reasoning in a very complex abstract way that we just didn't have before and that will have changed our worldview and will have gone on to kind of shape the way that we live our lives at that time so in a way it's quite a philosophical argument but also I think you kind of really get that 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 feeling I think we've we've all had an experience where we've met a concept or an idea which has completely changed our worldview which has then gone on to change the way that we kind of act and behave. And I I guess, you know, in more real terms, like when windmills were invented, the fact that that technology existed then gave way more for the possibility even of feudalism or uh, for kind of monopolies to start to, to be kind of created in those societies just purely because that technology allowed those things. So, yeah, I'm kind
0: of curious how you feel about that. But... I mean, it's really an interesting an interesting view of the world. I mean, in a way, I always, when people talk to me about technology, I think the most impactful technology in human evolution, if you ask me, is the printing press, right? Even the internet, of course, with its magnification and scale of the way the internet allowed to share information, it was just a magnification of the original concept of let's share knowledge in a scalable way through the printing press. And you have to imagine a world where nobody could read and there were no books that you could order and and receive and that knowledge wasn't shared that way. And that world would have been a very different world with very different humans. As a matter of fact, probably every single one of us is entirely built on that technology, right? The fact that you and I can have such a deep conversation that ponders things that we may not have even been informed of before is because of that grand scaling of sharing knowledge, right? And I think you're right that it shaped us completely, but it didn't control us because I believe that every other technology, perhaps prior to machine learning, if you ask me, was what you said was just a tool. It was waiting to be used. You could tell yourself, what time you will use a book, and what time you will not, you could, you could decide to read a book or hit your partner on the head with it. And that basically was your only two choices, if you think about it. But they were your two choices, they were not dictated to you. And I think today, with all of the cleverness of an AI engine, that's able to recommend billions of pieces of content to billions of users, tens of billions of times every hour, I think we're losing a lot of that control, aren't we?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And actually, I'd go back to that definition I said before about technology being an expression expression of of human will. In that sense, like, it may not some kind of an AI algorithm, like the original will will have been lost through abstraction, but there's still an, an intention there which led to its creation and there's an inertia moving in that direction which is kind of held up in that so you're right it's not that it has complete control over us yet the very fact that it exists it means there is another energy another momentum moving in a direction where our yeah where our experience and our will meets that and something very interesting happens in that meeting I guess Mm. Um, Mm. yeah
0: I mean in, in a way I think the good of everything is good and the bad of everything is bad right so take a technology like tv if you broadcast wisdom on TV, it's going to make everyone wiser. If you broadcast violent movies, it's going to just help with the creativity of how we can hurt each other. Right. And I think the technology itself is independent. If you think about it, the TV doesn't get to choose the TV is just the place there. I think the way we use it the way whether we're the broadcaster or the receiver is what determines its impact on us.
1: Yeah. And I think yeah, I would agree. And actually it just occurred to me, I think also what the technology does is it sets it sets and creates the context within which we, we exist in this moment in, in time. Like the fact that certain technologies are there, the fact that a television is there broadcasting, whatever kind of a media, the fact that it exists, it creates a context and environment in which we live. And then we interact with that. And in, in that sense as well, it's always really, I think it's always really important to remember that whenever any new technology arrives, and brings something new to the table. Always implicit in that game, there's always there's always some kind of a loss involved as well. Which isn't to say that the loss is necessarily bad, just to acknowledge that things things change the moment you introduce them. It's almost like a kind of some kind of um uh like like some kind of quantum science experiment. Like as soon as you kind of put something in there, then it inherently changes the situation. So like for example, like you were mentioning the printing press. Undoubtedly, like, that was incredible, just the fact that ideas, I mean, I think when the press was, the Gutenberg press kind of first came out, it was printing a lot of pages of the Bible to kind of spread those ideas around the world. But really interesting, actually, there's um, a fellow that was living at that time, around 1500, called uh, uh, Johannes Tritimus, I think his name is. He was like an abbot at a monastery, and he was an intellectual, but obviously kind of a, a religious man. And he was so enthusiastic being a scholar about the printing press and the fact that it could bring these ideas to to the world at large. And yet there's a really interesting passage of his that he wrote where he's kind of at the same time lamenting the fact that monastics who have previously spent their life scribing out the Bible by hand as like a lifelong endeavour of kind of devotion actually will slowly start to miss out on the opportunity to do that. And he's and he was kind of talking about how the understanding of a text like that is completely different when you spent your life writing it out and the words kind of going in your mind in, in that way as opposed to just approaching and reading a book which is again you know there's a massive benefit to that you know printing and being able to bring those ideas to more people and yet there's always a flip side
0: which i find fascinating so you're a bit like me maybe a lot actually in that you're a reformed technologist Right. I mean, I have gone maybe a little longer than you, but actually we probably ended, you started Mind Over Tech in 2018, correct?
1: Yeah, so it's something that I've been thinking about for a lot longer than that, but the, we founded the company in yeah late 2018, yeah.
0: Yeah, so I mean, more or less the same time. I started to leave Google end of 2017, and then finally managed to actually leave by March, I think 2018 or something mm-hmm. like that. But that idea, I'll say to everyone very openly, I have been privileged, honestly privileged, to have worked in the early Google. And in a way, specifically, I did two things at Google. Before I was chief business officer of Google X, I was the vice president of emerging markets. And to have the privilege, I think we started 105 languages in my time, close to half of Google's offices globally. And uh, to have the privilege to bring Google to a market wasn't about hiring a few salespeople, it was really building the internet, it was enabling the telcos, it was having a commercial value to digital, it was about the content in local languages. And, you know, as I always used to say, it was about that democracy of information to give a student in Ghana or Bangladesh or wherever the same access to information like a Harvard student had. And I have to admit, this completely was a force for good, right? And then there was a moment where I started to say, whoops, I think we crossed the line. And I think there are so many of us, I mean, so many out there, uh, you know, close colleagues, which have gone through that, I think in the late 2000, like you, you know, 2000 teens, in the late 2010s, I think many of us came to this realization that hold on, This requires some reflection here. I mean, for me specifically, it was artificial intelligence. You were an educator. You taught us how to code, basically. And then you stopped and went and said, mind over tech. What happened there?
1: Well, like you said, I've been working a lot as a developer, but in an educator role. So what I was doing at the time was, I've been doing it for around six years, designing and delivering workshops into actually very senior leadership teams that kind of big fortune 500 companies to give them a day's experience of what it's like to write code or to understand what machine learning is or to go through innovation process Um, because the idea was that these people were you know helming the ship of companies that were going through rapid digital transformation and suddenly they didn't have the confidence to actually lead their teams because they had no idea what their teams were even doing on a day-to-day basis Mm. so Mm. that, that was the world that I was occupying and it was fascinating and really just from the sidelines watching that on one hand it was amazing that all these new technologies were being brought in and what that could afford but also really understanding that actually no matter how good the technology is that you put in people's hands if if we actually develop bad habits about the way that we use that technology it can end up introducing a whole new load of new blockers or things which can impact you know our happiness or our productivity or our creativity Our effectiveness to do our work well. So again, there's this this kind of double-edged sword thing coming around. And I was really observing this. And also, when I was doing my own development work, I was beginning to have more and more tension and conflict in my life because um, I have a a meditation practice. I've practiced in the Buddhist tradition for a number of years. And I'm not a particularly great practitioner, but I was really finding that whenever I, I kind of managed to carve out time to do even a little bit of practice, as soon as I came to pick up my phone and my laptop to do some work, it was kind of—I just felt like it was robbing me of all of the benefit which I'd gained from that kind of almost instantly. Mm. Mm. And so there was the combination of those two things: one, the felt the fact that I felt like I was losing my own agency of the kind of awareness that I was trying to develop in my practice, but also just seeing that just every day, seeing around me that in these companies that as people are given these new tools, again, they're kind of losing their own agency or boundaries were becoming blurred, which was making their life difficult in ways that they hadn't been before. So yeah, there was all of that kind of conflict going on.
0: And your answer was, I'm not gonna teach people about tech, I'm gonna teach them about mind over tech. Tell me about mind over tech, what's the idea there?
1: So I guess ultimately, I mean, really the company has come out of my own journey. At that point where I was having that kind of personal conflict, I was actually considering walking away from tech completely and going back to doing something. I studied sculpture at university, like just doing something with my hand. How nice, man. Yeah, I mean... Do it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I still do do make some things. But actually, for me, I realised that technology isn't going away and it's only going to become more entwined in our lives. So actually it would probably be more beneficial to try and understand how could I change my relationship with it so that I felt that I did have agency and that I could, yeah, disrupt my habits so that I had a, a bit more control. So that was just the journey that I was on personally. And I started doing all sorts of strange things like putting post-it notes on my phone to kind of distract me when I, or remind me that I was distracted when I was picking up my phone and all sorts of different things. I think people saw what I was doing and they were kind of curious And I was in the mode of making workshops at the time anyway, so developed a series of workshops and just started to see if this was something that others were interested in. And yeah, it turns out it was. So really the the fundamental purpose of Mind Over Tech is actually just to create experiences and tools that help turn our relationship with tech into an opportunity for personal growth. That's what I'm actually most interested in, to make sure that whenever we meet our technology on a daily basis, It doesn't become this blocker or this thing which kind of hinders us, but becomes an invitation, an opportunity to actually reflect on ourselves and learn about our own agency and about how we meet the world. That's what interests me the most. But then in terms of what we kind of do on a day-to-day basis is we're a young company and we've not taken any investment trying to follow a path of slow, sustainable growth. So we made the decision to actually focus to begin with solely in the corporate space because first of all there's a huge need there of people working in offices dealing in the digital trenches kind of all day long that kind of need this but also obviously it's a bit easier to kind of get things going from a revenue point of view, just focusing there so that's what we've really been doing for the the last few years is kind of designing and delivering curriculum to help create habits and mindsets to unlock the human potential of hybrid digital teams basically.
0: I like the the word habits here. I mean, let's drill a little deeper on this because I wonder if anything has changed in the last 50 years or so. Because there was a time when humans spent several hours a day watching TV, right? I remember in the early days of YouTube, we were bragging that I think the average American for a while was spending several hours a day on YouTube. And then now we know for certain that, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think up to up to eight hours a day are spent by the average millennial or younger, if you want, in front of a screen. So this is actually not a habit. This is our life. I mean, if you really think about it, there is nothing that we do more than eight hours a day. I mean, most of us don't even sleep eight hours a day. Most of us don't work eight hours a day. Yeah, we show up at work eight hours a day, but most of us don't work eight hours a day. But that's quite significant. This is actually our life now. And when it becomes the whole thing, the biggest chunk of your day, then any little error in it multiplies, right? So if you're putting your neck down when you're holding the device and you do that 10 minutes a day, you won't feel any neck pain, but if you do that when it's eight hours, chiropractor, here I come, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so habits here become not just put your device down, but also what are you going to do when you're holding your device? It's also, are there other things that you can replace your device with and so on? So tell me about that concept. What do you classify as habits?
1: Well, I mean, I think... It's amazing just hearing you say that those eight hours, I think the thing is, it's that basically digital technology has become the new environment where we spend, as you're saying, like a huge amount of our time. So actually our habits are behaviors which play out in environments, right? And it just so happens that for however many hundreds of thousands or millions of years that humans have existed, we've existed in this physical environment. But only, you know, within the last 30 or 40 years have we begun to, to kind of live in this, in this digital environment. And it's fundamentally a new place which we're still figuring out what that even is and how to behave in, in that environment. So I think, yeah, I think our, our habits, as you said, you know, they show up in terms of, you know, how often we might pick up our phone and how often we're distracted. But actually, it's how we play out every single part of our human characteristics day by day so for me that involves things like habits around our well-being like if you think outside of of the digital world like we all are aware of habits which uh, are kind of ones which we would maybe want to adopt which would be good for either our physical or mental health that there are habits that we might want to adopt which help us set clear boundaries for ourselves and with other people or to communicate well or Uh, to make connections with people or to kind of learn and grow so I think there are habits around all of these different areas of our lives and actually they all show up as digital habits in our digital lives Mm. in kind of very, very different ways so for me this is actually kind of even getting to a point to be able to think about it in that way has kind of taken a bit of time because really The thing with digital is it's so slippery. There are no boundaries. You you go to pick up your phone to check the calendar and then you see the message from your friend, have you booked the tickets? And then you're going to watch the trailer for the movie and then suddenly you're like, somewhere completely different within seconds. Like there's everything so slippery. So actually unpicking our behavior in this space is really hard because to even notice how the behavior is playing out and to have that self-awareness of it is frankly incredibly difficult. So yeah, I think to talk about what digital habits are and how they show up is kind of to talk about the whole spectrum of human behavior, but just in
0: in this digital
1: environment, really.
0: It is definitely magnified significantly in that digital environment. I mean, honestly, if I went to check my wall calendar in the old days, I wouldn't have been interrupted by my friend. And if I was interrupted by my friend asking if I bought the ticket in the real world, I wouldn't be able to watch the trailer. I mean, there is... That slippery characteristic, if you want, is just built within the technology. And there is a lot of talk that it's designed within the technology. You and I both know that to be true. Because in reality, I think one of the things that I truly loved about the original Google, you know, at the time... I think still Google search is is pretty much in that space, but other products might not be so much. But at the time I was, Russia was part of my, uh, Russia Ukraine was part of my territory and Yandex was quite a prominent player in those places. And one of the characters of Yandex at the time was that they basically, when you searched on, on Yandex, you, it would open a new window for the result so that this window would remain and then another window and another window and you basically kept, and Google on the other hand would just give you results pages and just wants you to go away. It doesn't want you to stay on Google. It wants you to get to that website. And there was a big conversation at the time inside Google around should we compete with Yandex by doing what the Russian users like, which is to keep Yandex or to keep Google in that case prominently in their screen by sending them to another screen and keeping the search engine in front of them. And the whole idea was no, let's not do that. Let's send them to where they wanted to come here for and hopefully if they trust us, they'll keep coming back anyway. But that's not the case with newer technologies at all. Newer technologies are entirely around, oh, you've arrived, come, let me hold your hand and chain you to the wall here and keep you browsing over and over and over for sometimes up to four, five, six hours a day. This is, I mean, I know I'm talking the social dilemma here, but basically this is this is designed, we're designed to to put our life into this.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think that, I guess, as as kind of designers of technology, the phrases kind of friction or frictionless would, would kind of come into play here, you know, like a product which is created now, like you said, which is trying to keep someone within their system would be creating kind of frictionless experiences within the bound of their product, but creating a lot of friction to make it difficult or undesirable for people to kind of step outside of, of the bounds of, of that product, I guess. And I think that I mean, I know that you've spoke to Nir Ayal, I think, on this podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. A a while back. And, you know, like a lot of, I think a a lot of those methods, like around friction, whether you're reducing it or increasing it, which is used in technology, can also really be applied to how we can disrupt our default digital habits and help us. So, for example, you're talking about that, that story that in... If your calendar was on your wall, it would be difficult to get distracted and end up watching the movie. There are ways that you can introduce behaviours or habits in your digital life which create the friction, or another way of saying that would be boundaries, which make it a good sight harder to suddenly go off and start watching the trailer. They're kind of strategies or methods which are all very small. In this card deck which I gave you, we've kind of like boiled them down this is an example of 50, but there are many more, of these kind of bite-sized things which you can begin to do and just experiment with and play, which can, yeah, help you to start to put those boundaries into place for yourself so that you can hopefully start to actually use that calendar more on your own terms about for actually, yeah, blocking out time rather than, yeah, getting sidetracked.
0: Which gets us to this. So the minute you handed this over to me at Sync, I basically said, oh, do you want to come talk to my listeners about this? I think it's an amazing idea, really. So there are 50 cards in here. And within those cards, we're basically, it's digital habits, as you call it, digital habit labs. I mean, do you mind if we just go through a few of them? Sure. uh, Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first one is spot on. Avoid early morning tech use. So I think every one of us knows that the days that start with you waking up in the morning, jumping to your phone, searching for your emails and your Instagram and your uh, WhatsApp and so on, ends up with 20, 25 minutes of you on the phone, getting frustrated, not knowing what you're doing with your life, really hating everything about your life and starting the day that way. So that's a very clear, tell me a bit about that.
1: I mean, out of interest, is that something which like if you reflect on your mornings in general is that something which which you do and if so is it habitual or is it kind of like depends on the day or
0: i am very very strict on those things my phone sleeps in a different room and it is not approached before an hour from the time i wake up i have those very clear rituals of how I make my coffee and then how I reflect and meditate. And the more interesting side of my habit is that my phone is actually squeezed between the time that I allow myself to kickstart my day and the time I start writing. I normally try to write, start to write an hour after I wake up. And I'm supposed to actually have rituals that take an hour from the minute I wake up till I finish my rituals so my phone gets squeezed for around you know 5 7 minutes rushed before I start writing and I think it feels very grateful that I touch it at all but uh, but yeah but it doesn't get that much time
1: yeah so that's great I mean and you you've kind of arrived at that place where again like you've created clear boundary and a sense of friction for yourself so that you are you are able to start the day on your own terms but yeah this this experiment is encouraging anyone even if you already have that set up to just try like over a period of 24 hours to kind of either do it again or maybe do it for a slightly longer period of time or for a slightly shorter one and just kind of try that out and see see what happens, observe like how does that change the the shape of my day compared to if I, if I wasn't doing that. Um, and then from that, make a decision ultimately about is this something which might be useful for me kind of long-term. And it sounds like, I'm sure that you didn't just start doing that one morning. I'm sure that's something which you kind of like arrived at over time.
0: Oh, I, I'll tell you openly. I mean, I, I'm not ashamed to, to talk about my downfalls, but sure, when COVID started, my second lockdown was in Montreal and uh, in Canada. And, and I, at the time, and still am actually, <laughs> I'm dying to implement a strategy for my life that I call Half Monk and half monk is basically 50% of my life engaged in the uh, in the busy modern world and 50% monk like life you know reflection meditation service and so on and so forth and uh, yeah and and so of course like an engineer the first thing i started to do was to measure how much of my life i'm putting in this and how much of my life i'm putting in that and so i had my digital health apps installed on my phone. And on average, I was doing seven hours and 40 minutes. Seven hours and 40 minutes on yeah. my phone every so the, day. The, the, that's why, that's my weekly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's my weekly average, which means that there were days where I was doing 10 hours a day, right? And I think I got very serious about that. So I basically started to to really address it very strongly, very Almost aggressively, I don't want to use the word, but yeah, I made it a very, very high priority. And I would probably say today, had it not been the fact that social media is part of my job, like I need to send positive messages to the world as part of what I do, which now takes an hour and 40 minutes of me a day. I also respond to a lot of messages. So most of the messages I get, I respond to. If it hadn't been for that, I think I would have spent three minutes on social media a day. Because I basically removed all swiping and liking, as I call it. Swiping and liking is is really the worst habit you can ever develop, yeah?
1: I think an important thing for me to say here is like a couple of things is one, like, they're called habits for a reason. And behaviors can kind of ebb and flow and change. And this is not something that I have completely sorted. Like sometimes I'll go for months where I don't have my phone in my room, and and I don't pick it up first thing in the morning. But then something will happen in my life. It might be that I'm really crunching at work and and working really hard. And then that causes me to just want a bit of downtime before I sleep. And so or, or it could be that Something's happening in my social life and I need to be available for a call early in the morning. Whatever it is, something will happen, which means that one day the phone will be next to my bed. And then what I notice is once that happens, then it's normally there the second day. And it kind of like <laughs> it kind of goes yeah. back, you know. So that's it's actually, yeah, it's another reason why we've kind of created these cards, because it's like I really believe that working with your digital habits is a practice in the same way that you don't get fit once you have to keep doing it
0: going to the gym yeah
1: yeah it's like the same with this like you're never going to perfect your relationship with your technology you're never going to have perfect digital habits because technology will always change the world will always change around you and your behavior will change but more the most important thing is to have like a system a framework and also inspiration like these cards to on a daily basis reflect okay what's happening today like Am I in a good place in the morning? Am I checking my phone early or or, or not? Am I happy with that? And if I'm not, let's try and disrupt my behavior by trying one of these experiments and see if I can turn this back around in my favor. Why do you call them experiments, not I think this is really, really important. I mean, I'd say we definitely refer to the cards as experiments, which can maybe be brought into a bigger practice maybe if I could frame it in that way. But I think the experimenting is very important because first of all, it's like there are no silver bullets here. Like some of the experiments in this deck will work great for some people. Some people, maybe for their job, need to pick up their phone the minute that they wake up. Or it could be that they are connected with loved ones who are ill and they need to be always... So for some people, some of these habits will be... Or kind of the way which they need to use their tech or yeah, their relationship with tech will be fundamentally different to somebody else so in that sense there are no right answers and there are no silver bullets it's not like one of these experiments will work for everybody all of the time so therefore experiment is important because what we're doing is we're just trying out a different behavior actually so much of i don't know if you've read atomic habits by james mm, Clear. yeah yeah he was also at sync he talks a lot about habits being kind of caught up with our identity a lot and actually our identity is all about connected with our belief systems and and how we see the world and actually quite often if we need to change our behaviour and our habits a blocker to that can be if we have quite a firm belief that something is a certain thing and we believe it to be that and it couldn't possibly be the other so by calling these things experiments Actually, it's like an invitation. So you don't even need to believe that this will work, but just try, just it. try just, it. Just try it. Just try it for 24 hours and observe for yourself what happens to me if I do this. And after that, is there any benefit there which I can kind of take from that to maybe bring into my long-term digital strategies kind of in, in the I future? I love that.
0: Yeah. I love that. So let's flip through some more. Some yeah, more yeah cards. Sure. So Yeah. I like the one that says, avoid blue light at night. So that's basically the opposite of that. Don't jump on your phone in the morning and don't look it in the eye before you sleep. And I can tell everyone, of course, we know that, that it really helps with your sleep if you're, and I think maybe the third, which I didn't find on one of the cards is, if you wake up at 4 a.m. to pee, don't look at your phone like seriously, okay? It can wait until the morning. And by the way, if someone sent you something at 4 a.m., they're either nuts or they don't deserve your answer. Uh, You know. And if it's an emergency, like seriously, if you didn't pee, you wouldn't know. So anyway, number eight, uh, I like this one. Post-it note on your phone screen. You mentioned this before, and I really, really like it. So what is that?
1: So this is something I did really early on, which is basically that I noticed that I was scrolling through my Twitter feed before I even knew that I'd picked up my phone. It was like, it was so automatic that (laughs) I'd I'd unlocked my phone and was going through it before I even knew what was going on, right? Especially like waiting for a bus or something. So I decided, I was like, how can I I try and actually bring awareness to the fact that I'm even unlocking my phone in the first place? So I decided I'm going to stick a big post-it note on the front of my phone. And I actually wrote the word intention on it. And so for me, that was like, whenever I went to look at, unlock my phone, I was surprised by this word. And it was actually a question asking, you know, Jonathan, what's your intention right now? And that, for me, that, that became a really, really fun experiment. It was like, if I could clearly answer, you know, I'm, there's a, an email I need to respond to for a client and that's why I'm doing this. Then I would let myself in and, and do that and try and get back out. But if I couldn't clearly answer the question, that'd be an invitation to try and actually put the phone back in my pocket and just, be present or do whatever I was doing before and you know sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't over a time I found that the sticky note really helped and then it lost its stick and it fell off and I kind of the bad habit came back but again it was just this kind of small disruption which gave me a moment of pause a moment of agency really back in, in into that situation
0: I love the disruptive side of it, but I also love the concept of intention. Why are you holding your phone at all? Okay, because, you know, like, as you said, uh, when when Nir Eyal was here, we spoke about the, the fact that a lot of it is just reactive. It's not, you're not even aware why you're holding your phone at all. You're literally unlocking your phone to see what your phone will tell you to do, right? And if there is a notification, you're gonna go there and then you're gonna go from from there and and, and tour around. I think the idea of intention, like why are you doing this? If it's an email, then go read the email and leave. And I think that really makes a big difference. I skipped number seven, which I really, really love, which says, eat your meals without screens. We're not going to explain that. I think it's self-explanatory, okay?
1: And actually just to say really quickly to that, you know, quite a lot of these experiments will be things which seem simple or obvious or we might have heard of them before. But I think what's really interesting is whenever we run these kind of our workshops or, or we work with professionals, Time and time again, people say "Like, oh yeah, I've heard of that, I, I know that, that's good to do. And then we ask, oh, that's great, like... Do you do it? <laughs> do you do it? And they're like, oh no, I haven't done it, exactly. So it's actually yeah. like, making it your practice, making it habitual is such a big step. Uh, I'm with you, yeah. Which is so difficult, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I love number 12, it's my, I shout and scream to everyone. Less frequent news exposure. Please, the news is killing you. Okay, build a meeting buffer. I liked that one very much. Again, I'm, uh, I'm not going through all of them, but let's rush through a little bit. Do not reply immediately. I love this one. The idea of we feel so much pressure to basically respond the minute we get any message whatsoever, but the reality is we actually don't. And by the way, most people don't expect you to respond immediately. You're just giving yourself that target, right?
1: Exactly. And so much of that one is tied up around unspoken expectations on both sides. And the fact that yeah. both parties have their own set of expectations, but they're not aware of what each other's are. So there's lots of anticipatory things. And actually, there's just so much going on, which
0: is kind of not really meeting the reality of the situation. Okay, I didn't understand this one. Put arriving on the agenda. What does that mean? Yeah, great. So this is really, in a way, it's kind of the
1: the sister card of the making a meeting buffer. So okay, making a meeting buffer is just saying, you know, don't make you an hour, your meeting an hour long, make it 45 minutes long and give yourself 15 minutes to decompress and pee and make a cup of tea before your next meeting. The thing is, you're not always in control, or at least the majority of people aren't always in control of the meetings which they attend and so that's not always possible to do. So putting arriving on the agenda is really a practice of within the agenda of the actual meeting make the first five minutes time for people to arrive if they haven't had a chance to before from the last meeting to finish up notes and close the mental loop from the previous meeting if they need to just take a breath, go for like a minute walk or make a cup of tea, something to give everyone the opportunity to just reset and arrive so that you're all on the same page before beginning the meeting. And I think what's really interesting with this experiment is how it's evolved out of the pandemic as kind of teams work in a more hybrid way a lot of the time. Because actually when you start a meeting, you've got people, some that are coming from a previous digital meeting online, some that have been already in the office. And it actually creates... It's like a strategy to create a moment for everyone to re-sync and kind of have a moment of like replenishing themselves before launching into the meeting. It's like a small thing, like five minutes out of a 45 minute meeting, which can actually give a huge amount of quality and depth and presence to, to the rest of the meeting.
0: Yeah. It's so clever because I remember at Google, When we introduced the idea of the 25 minutes meeting, it was actually Larry that uh, our CEO at the time was, that insisted we need to make the meetings 25 minutes so that people can have five minutes. But uh, it was always the meeting ending five minutes early. Uh, which we never took really, because if the conversation was heated, you continued, or there was an idea that is about to be discovered, you continued. I think the idea of uh, the 30 minutes meeting starting with a five minute arrival, I think that's a clever one. And you may not really put it on the agenda, but just, you know, build the environment around it. And I think yeah. a c- very I clever think, idea.
1: I think yeah. what's nice about that is that as well, even if people have taken a break before, everyone has a certain inertia from the day. And by pausing as a group where you're aware everyone else is, it kind of slows things down and stops people kind of, Yeah, it just gives you a moment to kind of digest things a bit more before like just launching off on your your,
0: Yeah, yeah, I like that very much also introduces a bit of a human element where you can chat and say hi to the to the next person. Number 26 is one of my favourites. I've tried it before. And my God, it works like magic. Uh, If you haven't tried this, uh, activate grayscale mode, if you go to your phone settings and turn your phone to grayscale, you'll be surprised how less attractive it becomes. So try that. But 28 was, I I, when I I read 28 and I thought you wrote it for me, it basically says, (laughs) delay the urge to search. Yeah, yeah. Why? We love people to search. I mean, at least I used to.
1: Yeah. So I guess for me, this comes back to the thing we were talking about before about gains and losses. The amazing thing about Google is that when you are around... dinner table with friends and you're like oh who was in that movie or whatever that you can you can just get that information and that's great but also sometimes you don't need to know that information and yeah and it's like actually how much value is that really bringing to that moment or what's it actually detracting whether in terms of an opportunity for distraction when you go on the phone or even just like even if it's a small thing, like detracting from the actual connection between those two people in, in that moment. Or it could even be if you're by yourself, it might be like you're working on something and then you're like, oh, I don't know, whatever it could be. It could be a very important thing to search. But the fact is, you don't need to do it right at this exact moment in time. And quite often, the minute you begin to search, you're basically opening that door to so much potential other behavior, which just wasn't on the table before. So So true. Like actually, because if you I don't know if you've looked, if you flip it over on the back, it kind of gives you step by step instructions to run the experiment. So this one is actually saying just get yourself a simple notebook and keep it with you. And whenever you get that, whenever you notice that urge to search, instead of doing it, just write down the search in the book and then give yourself a certain time in the day where you open your book and you look at all of the searches and then you start to just do them all in one go. And what's amazing with, you, yeah, yeah. amazing with that is that when you go to do that, half of them, you're like. Why, do Why I am I searching search? for
0: this? Why? <laughs> right, yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, you also have to remember, you know, the work of uh, Tim Ferriss in the four hour work week and the idea that you every task that you do has a bit of an initiation time and an ending time concatenated to it. So you have to add some at the beginning and add some at the end. And if you're about to search and you're gonna do five searches, you're gonna just open your phone once, get to search once, and then you're gonna do the five searches and then you're gonna, you know, finish once and you're done instead of doing it five times. Batch, and I think that- like task batch. Batch processing, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm.
1: absolutely. I, I think as well, mm-hmm. it just occurred to me Coming, stepping back from this for a moment and even coming back to the kind of, like looking at it from a, a meditation or a mindfulness kind of point of view. What's great about this is that a habit like this one that we're looking at here, initially, it's just a great way to stop you from being distracted or, or kind of keeping you on track. But also what you'll notice is it's actually really, even if you've read this card and you're like, yes, I must do this, the chances are The next time you go to search something, you will probably have forgotten about this. Yeah, Mm. And actually, it's like by doing this experiment and writing it down, over time, you get better at it and it actually trains and heightens your own self-awareness through doing it. Mm. And for me, what's Mm -hmm. really exciting, and back to what I was saying before about turning our relationship with tech into an opportunity for personal growth, is that not only do these experiments kind of help us avoid initial distractions, they can actually really help us learn more about ourselves and about self-awareness and Absolute, kind of absolutely. building our yeah. muscle of, of agency and in, intention that we spoke about before.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I flip through those and one of my favorites is 31. Start and start using an egg timer. This is <laughs> one of my biggest habits. No, no. See, I mean, I, m- mine is right over here, actually. So, okay. So great. I, 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 I use this, a kitchen timer you have no idea how effective this is, okay? And I tell people all the time because basically you set it to, I set it to 44 minutes and 11 seconds when I sit to write. And it basically, it allows you to not linger beyond a certain time, but also if you wanna focus and you know that a task needs a certain time, you give it the time. And basically, I do it and switch off my phone completely. So I know it's going to be 44 minutes, 11 seconds. The world is not going to end in it. And if the disaster at hand is so, so severe that it needs my attention before 44 minutes, then I'm probably too tiny to fix it anyway. And and that's it. I love, I love that tip. Clean your home screen. I love that as well. Delete apps from your phone. I totally love that as well. But let's go to number 36 see yourself and others that was powerful that was powerful so you're basically saying here in proper english but i would say it in the real english see how miserable people are <laughs> when they're using your their phones
1: yeah yeah absolutely and but also I, I don't know about you but for me in seeing that that misery as, as you call it actually that's really triggering for me. Like if I'm, on a, if I'm on a train in London and everyone around me is on their phone, which is basically every time I take the train. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. If you're sat next to someone who's kind of just scrolling endlessly through an Instagram feed or something next to you on the train, somehow not only do they look from an, an external perspective, not that happy, but also somehow <laughs> I, I find it deeply irritating. Like I almost find it offensive and, and obnoxious. Not because I find them offensive or obnoxious, but there's something... Basically, what I realise, it's like a mirror being held up to me. Is like, actually, when I see someone else doing it, I can see how two-dimensional and, and unrewarding that, that experience of scrolling through is. When I'm doing it myself, I'm involved in it and I can't see myself. But when I see it in others, actually, I can see... The part of it which is not that fulfilling and that, if I'm honest, pushes my buttons and, and riles me. And, mm. and I think that is part of this experiment is kind of noticing in those moments when that arises in you, put, know that you are that person that is irritating yeah. you and that they's, that is you most of the time. And that can be a very powerful way to help you break through those moments where somehow you don't have enough strength to pull yourself out of your, your media feed.
0: Absolutely. Beautiful, beautiful idea. And you know how we, how we get upset when we're sitting with a friend and they reach out to their phone and check messages or whatever. Yeah. When you see that, remember that you too are that person and that you sometimes do the same. And I think those vivid images, I think are very powerful in terms of reminding you what you're doing with your life really.
1: Yeah. And it also then touches on the fact that as with any kind of anything which involves working with your habits will change that you need to bring a really healthy dose of kind of kindness to yourself and to others in, in that process. You know, it's like, Mm. like whenever anyone starts meditating, like to begin with, it often feels like their mind is getting noisier and more distracted, but actually it's just that you're becoming more aware of what's going on in your head to begin (laughs) with. And actually, and that could be quite daunting, but you have to bring a lot of kindness and, and know that it's not something that's going to change instantly, but, um, Yeah, but which actually just by trying the experiment in the first place is is, is already a massive win.
0: Yeah, that's actually quite eye-opening. It's the awareness I think that makes a a huge difference. Let's take one more and I picked the most strategic. Before I go to that one, number 40 is my absolute favorite. (laughs) You've got a lot of absolute favorites. (laughs) Oh my God, this one is so spot on. It says, fully embrace boredom. Yeah, try that people, try that. Seriously, I mean, honestly, it is so interesting how growing up in emerging markets myself, you would actually pass by that construction site or something, and there is, you know, an old guard sitting there doing nothing. I remember those. It was so interesting, literally sitting there doing nothing. And occasionally they would have one of those little transistor radios playing, uh, you know, Oumu Kulthum, which was like the most famous singer at the time in the the Middle East. And, And that's it, that's all they were doing. Now we can't stand it. We cannot stand sitting there without something constantly distracting our thinking, because when we're bored, we start thinking of our issues and it feels horrible. So people avoid boredom like the plague. But anyway, let's not discuss this one. I think the one that is really, uh, really, really the one is know what matters most. I think know what matters most is really the summary of all of this. Because most of the time, when we're sucked into our devices, that device or whatever is happening on that device, honestly, is not what matters most to you.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes it is. And and if it is, and you're, you're doing it intentionally because it is, then that's amazing. That's fantastic. That's yeah. like, that's mm. digital habits working well because you've actually aligned your tech use to your deeper purpose and that's helping fulfill that. That's wonderful. But as you said, like, that doesn't happen all the time. And if I'm honest for myself, it's it's quite rare. So, yeah, actually, this experiment is about kind of each day taking a little bit of time, ideally without your technology around you, to just just reflect on like on a personal level or a professional level or whatever it is like what actually is most important to me and just reflect you know like are my digital habits actually helping pursue that or helping in the cause of that and I think that that's not going to change anything straight away but again like any all of this it's a practice if you can build that up as a muscle that is really helping you set your very clear intention. And also, I think this is something, again, that Nir Ayal talks about a lot. It's like, it's very difficult, or rather it's very easy to be distracted if you don't know what it is that you're doing in the first place, right? <laughs> like, if you don't have a clear sense of what you're doing, then actually everything becomes a viable option and you just kind of go down that route. So <laughs> take a little bit of time to just make it, even if it's even if you think you know, make it crystal clear in your mind what actually is the most important thing. And that's kind of more in a general way, but also in this, in this card, on a more practical level, it could be just don't make endless to-do lists or use all these kind of get things done systems. Just identify one thing that if you go to bed at the end of the day and you've done this one thing, that that will make you happy or feel like the day hasn't been a waste of time. Know what that's that so is. beautiful. Know what that is, and then prioritize that in into your into your life and make sure that your digital habits don't divert that one thing from happening, basically.
0: Yeah, I always said that about work. But interestingly, it's almost the same about digital habits as well. I always said put the things that matter in your calendar first. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love my daughter to bits and you know if my daughter says let's meet on monday that will go on my calendar and nobody nobody will overlap with this and i always said that publicly even when i was at google if larry page himself wanted time with me i'll say okay larry but let me check with my daughter first yeah. Okay? Yeah. And I think knowing what matters. No, seriously. And if and if she said no, I can't do another time, I promise you, I would go back and say, I'm sorry, Larry, do you have another slot that we can speak? Because honestly, she matters most to me. And and I think that's really, really important. And I think when it comes to digital habits as well, as I always say, life is just the only only asset that we come to this life with is seconds is, I don't know, I think like 4 billion heartbeats or something like that. And if you waste eight hours a day, that's probably like 50,000 of them, of those heartbeats swiping and liking, that's such a waste. Those heartbeats are not coming back. And I think it really is wasting life on something that doesn't really matter.
1: Yeah, and I think at the same time, as you said, eight hours a day on your phone, if you've not done this experiment and identified what, what matters most, when you go to bed at night knowing you've spent eight hours on your phone you're probably going to feel bad about that but if you identified that actually watching kind of classic old movies like is something that you're really passionate about and gives you a lot of value if you spent two of those eight hours watching a movie then actually again that's an, another time when you've thought about it and your intention has shaped your digital habits and they're aligning and helping you do the things which are meaningful for you so you're right it's about using your time well but it's also about being confident that the time spent in your digital life has been, yeah, things which are of quality and, and, yeah,
0: and which bring you value. Mm. Jonathan, how do people get access to those cards? I mean, I never asked you that, actually.
1: Yeah, so we've recently just finished a Kickstarter for them. So the first batch is being printed now. So you can buy them on pre-order. And once they're out, you'll be able to continue to buy them from our website. So that's mindovertech.com. And yeah, you can go there and you can also sign up there and get like a free seven day email course where we we email out one habit a day with a little bit of advice around that just to kind of give you like a taster just to try some of them out.
0: Beautiful. I'm very grateful that we met. I hope that we will get we will get that coffee again when I'm in London next time. And uh, I'm very, very grateful for your time today. Thank you for all the advice and so generously sharing. I think this is this was a wonderful conversation.
1: Likewise, yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: And uh, for all of you listening, I'll start from the end here. I uh, know what matters most. I really, I really think that there would be nothing wrong if you spent eight hours a day doing things on a screen that make a difference to you. I spend three to four hours a day every day on a screen writing expressing myself and sharing with my readers. And it's wonderful. It's that mindless swiping and liking as I call it, that is truly a waste of life. It's time, it's seconds that tick away and never come back. Definitely things that are worse, your consideration to do them differently. I think using our devices properly is truly a matter of habits. And I think if we develop those habits, you'd have the good of tech and avoid the bad of tech. And uh, with that, I will, as always, thank you so much for giving me the alibi to talk to old friends and wise people And have wonderful conversations uh, that enlighten me and I hope give you some interesting ideas and entertain you. And uh, yeah, I think today is probably one of the best days to remind you that, you know, I know your life is busy, but maybe put that device down and take a little bit of time to embrace boredom and slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.